Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast in Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with our brand new episode. And this week, we're going to be covering James Cameron's The Abyss, because it's one of those movies I don't think is talked about enough, especially in his oeuvre movies. But in order to cover this properly, I need a co-host with me. Now, this gentleman, uh, I, I'm glad to say I've been friends with him for a couple of years now, and he, I would say he's one of the wittiest people I know, just a drop of a hat, be able to... Very funny on his on his toes and everything like that, and he's able to just leap from one topic to another seamlessly, in my opinion. And he's able to do that successfully with his own YouTube show or channel, I should say, because he's a co-founder of Valverde Broadcasting. Mister Richard Jackson, how you doing? Hey man, that's a that's a very sweet intro. Thank you very much. Um, I I I secretly view you as like I I kind of think you're the you're the internet's nicest man. Is my it's my kind of view of Tim Rooney. You're a very positive, sweet dude, man. You're, I've never seen you say anything mean ever online on Twitter. The the most evil, the most evil platform on the whole planet. You're just endlessly sweet, positive dude, and I think that the, the internet needs more of that, Tim. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, there's certain fan groups that I take pop shots at and everything, but they're there. I, I like to think like sometimes you need it, but then again, uh, people take pop shots at my fandom. Like, all right, I take my licks and I'm willing to uh, roll with them. And and like when I say that, when you're very uh, funny and everything like that, your takedown of Game of Thrones uh, a couple of months back on a stream oh and stuff like that is <laughs> I still laugh to this day about. I was I was really quite merry, as we say in England, when we we mean we're drunk. Um, yeah, I was quite merry, but that, I I kind of stored that up. That had been bubbling over inside me for quite some time. <laughs> it's all about the politics. Like, no, you just want to justify watching. Uh, HBO porn, but uh, yes. it's <laughs> in a veneer of politics. Like, do you watch C-SPAN? No. So, yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah, no, stop kidding no. yourself. We're here for the, the boobs and dragons. Really, is what this is what that is. But anyway, yes. But like I said, we're talking about the abyss. So let's jump into our review of it right now. So Richard, I'll ask you, what is your history with the Abyss? This was, um, I don't know, whenever it was on, it would have been on British TV, um, probably because I didn't have cable or anything at the time. So it would have been on British TV probably a couple of years after it came out. So probably like 91, 92 or something like that. And um, it was something that was acceptable to watch with the family. So like... uh, my mum and dad knew I loved James Cameron because I I managed to watch the Terminator behind their backs when I was really quite young and it was like that that horse had bolted you know and I'd seen Terminator two, um and uh you know that had kind of all fallen into place and the the Abyss was on and we could all watch it as a family so we sat down and watched the Abyss um because it's still you know it's a bit rough but it doesn't have people it doesn't have the level of the level and focus on violence that say the Terminator films do so I think my mum was quite relieved that it was a kind of James Cameron thing for me to watch that was kind of all right even though i'd already watched the horrible ones um so yeah we watched it together as a family and and we're kind of wowed by the special effects and stuff and it's one of these things very it's very very much one of these things that everybody at school watched it so 
the next day on the playground, you know, we were like, did you see, did you see the abyss? Had the water thing, it looked like the T-1000 and blah, 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 blah. You know, um, so yeah, it goes back to probably as soon as it's available to watch on British TV, uh, we watched it as a family. Very nice. I mean, it would be a different movie if Pseudopod start kneecapping SWAT team members all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly right. <laughs> like, they came in peace or they like, left us in pieces. That's what happened. <laughs> yes. A big kind of uh, blob of water in the shape of uh, Austria's biggest man, Arnold Schwarzenegger, with an Austrian <laughs> accent. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a weird, less talked about movie. Definitely. I think it's a good choice for a podcast. And I'll, this is full disclosure here, because um, I knew I wanted you back on the show for something. And I, I was like, so I went to your channel, Valverde Broadcast, and I was like, is there something they have not covered from like the 80s and 90s and everything? I'm like, all right, he's talked to death about the Terminator, Robocop, and Predator. I won't make him do that because I feel like he'll just like. Probably just, just cry. Like, just to do a thing, <laughs> just cry all the fluid out of my body. <laughs> You'll be like the, the first boss in the IT crowd, like, all right, let's give him some tea. I'll be right back. Open the window, just, <laughs> just hop out. Um, so I'm like, but he hasn't talked about the abyss. So I'm like, all right, we'll do that. And like you, this is one that it took me a couple of years to find this movie because, it, like you said, it's not talked about enough, especially when you think of James Cameron movies, especially um, his, his successes, whether it be, obviously, the Terminator movies, Titanic and Avatar, and like... It's weird, like where True Lies and the Abyss are the only two movies of his not been released on Blu-ray, mm. and and you just like he even put like he was part of an article a couple years ago saying like yeah I just need like eight hours between each movie and I'll be able to finalize everything I just don't have eight hours because Big so, Blue uh, I'm making movies. Avatar fifty nine at the moment <laughs> so I can't do anything I don't even know I don't even know how he absorbs nutrients Tim I don't know if he's got like a kind of stoma and a food bag. They just kind of squirt water into his mouth every time he breathes, like because he just seems. To, I know I've created this kind of grotesque image, but he just seems to have not time for anything because he he just makes Avatar movies now, which I think is everybody. I think it's our loss actually. Um, it's not his loss. He's probably made millions and millions and millions of dollars, but you know. What I mean? Yeah, and I imagine like he has a colostomy bag, and so he doesn't have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's like a, it's like a complete spacesuit, catheter, like everything. He just walks completely self-contained, so he can keep making avatars. And, and it's all natural too, because I like I understand he is a vegan and everything, so it's it's obviously a very uh, holistic way of uh, keeping mm. himself uh, in one piece. Mm. And I remember, I think I took this out for I rented this movie, I think from the library, and I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember if this came on. Yeah, it was one. It was one VHS because I saw the theatrical cut. Um, when did you end up seeing the director's cut of this movie? Oh, not till later. And I haven't seen it that many times. I've seen the theatrical cut more. I will have seen that on tape, on tape or disc, like around the time it came out. Because there's the, there's the tradition of uh, James Cameron does a thing, and then you get the director's cut of the thing. Because the BBC put on the director's cut, for example, of Terminator Two. That was on television, and that was really weird at the time. It's like, you what? And then, you know, here's a longer version. Um, and obviously there's the Aliens cut and stuff. So, yeah, I don't remember when. I saw, I would have seen it around the time it was released, I think, because um, it's just like, oh, there's there's more of the thing, so we'll go and see what that's all about, you know. Nice. And it, it's curious, like, with him with director's cuts, like, those are the preferred ones I watch. Like, I rarely watch – I don't think I've ever – since I've had the director's cut, I don't think I've watched T2 theatrical cut since mm, then. Mm. Um. Hell, I even went to a screening once. It was a Arnold double feature of Total Recall and T2 back-to-back, um, which I annoyed my girlfriend at the time the entire drive there, just doing Arnold impressions right, to her. Right, right. 
but it, my comeuppance came when I got to the box office to get tickets for us and the cashier asks, uh, so what are you going to see? And I'm like, uh, can we have two tickets for Terminator 2 and Total Recall? And I didn't mean to say Total Recall like Arnold. And I'm mm. like, <laughs> he gave me a look like, okay, he gave me my tickets. And just so my lips are so puckered up, like, thank you. <laughs> walk away. And she's like, you just did the Arnold voice to him. I'm like, no, I didn't. And was in total denial. But this version of T2 was a digital presentation, but the person added in the even cut out scenes. Like the extra scene of Robert Patrick in John Connor's Oh, so it's like the ultimate cut then, that, that one. Yeah. Yeah. It, including the original ending with old Sarah Connor. Right, yeah, yeah. And that one is, that one goes too far, I think. And it kind of messes up the pacing a little bit. The, the mega, mega, mega cut. Like it just yeah. feels a bit like there's too much. I know because Duncan, my co-host at Valverde, he doesn't like the, the director's cut even, whereas I do. Um, mostly for the chip scene. Like, you know, it's one of my favorite movies, but the chip scene is an amazing spectacle and feat of special effects, as you would find in The Abyss, of course, because that's what, you know, it's envelope pushing special effects is Cameron's whole vibe, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the kind of stuff that he did here was then used in T2. I mean, it's it's the animation of, of fluidic creatures, um, i.e. the pseudopod in, in, in this, in the T-1000. Um, right. And it is funny, like, I wonder, I've always wondered, like, if... You kept that original ending to T2. We've had sequels mm, that mm, we've had, mm. but then wibbly wobbly timey wimey. <laughs> <laughs> it's just best not to think about it, Tim, regards to more Terminator things. I'm, I'm so jaded over that at this point in time. And it seems that Cameron was just sort of messing around with Dark Fate anyway and couldn't get it on with get, get it on get on with tim miller i was not implying that there was an attempt to have sex with him um, to get on with tim miller um so i don't know i don't know it's odd but uh yeah this is this is a strange film it's a bit of an island i think this and true lies are kind of the neglected cameron movies um i mean this is probably it's not among my top cameron films put it that way uh but you know they're all pretty big hitters for me i think avatar sits quite firmly at the bottom um but you know that's all that's a run of good hits like to me mm. I'm putting that behind both Terminators and True Lies and Aliens, The Abyss. It's like, that's a pretty nice place to be. You know what I mean? It's sort of. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's like amongst your hits, like they're like, you could do far worse. Mm, mm, you do so much worse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's, you know, and it's it's probably one of the camera ones I watch the least um, as well. I revisit the least, but it is a really spectacular movie and it's very emotive and stuff. I mean, it, it very much feels like a Jim Cameron movie. Um, mm. And this clearly, I think, ticked off the the kind of aquatic fixation of Cameron because I think, I think they got the idea. I think it's he and Gail and Heard had watched a, a Nat Geo doc or something about uh, ROVs, and then because obviously once he made this, he just dicked around making documentary. Well, I say dicked around. He's made some really compelling, <laughs> amazing documentaries. It's me. It's, me, it's, me, it's like me when I was fifteen, going like, "Make Terminator Three, you prick." Um, he, he was, you know, with Bill Paxton making kind of uh, Ghost of the Abyss and fascinating kind of underwater photography stuff. Uh, that was kicked off it would seem his interest in that whole world came from this and I think isn't his brother a marine biologist or something I believe so I know his brother at least one of his brothers I think served like uh, like in the military and everything I think he was a consultant on Avatar and everything so I wonder like does James Cameron hate his brother I don't know (laughs) Uh, (laughs) right I mean but but that's he's been had he's had a very anti-authoritarian 
bent in all of his movies in one way or the other. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, this has like the obviously Michael Bean's character is the standing, well, not the standing, but the, the the cause of an unflattering portrayal of military military industrial complex, let's say, um, and that's all of Avatar. The whole of Avatar is an unflattering portrayal of the military industrial complex. Um, but you know, make of that what you will. <laughs> Without a doubt. And it, it was curious, like, yeah, like he had had the idea when he first, like, when he was a child, he'd heard about the the fluid that that's actually real, that able to breathe underwater, mm. but it's just not as successful as scientists want it to be. And so he wrote it about scientists. And then when he, after the Nat Geo documentary that you had mentioned that he and Galen Hurd saw during the making of Aliens, he retooled it to be about oil riggers underwater because blue collar being a little more, it's very much in line of alien. Oh, you run, you um identify with them a little bit easier than the uh scientists and such and given the success of both terminator and aliens aliens being a gigantic success with seven oscars 20th century fox was just like almost gave him a blank check to do whatever he wanted mm. and i think on letterman he said like it was around 40 plus million dollars uh that's what the budget for this movie is and needless to say i think every dollar is on the screen oh god does this film look expensive does this film look expensive? Oh my god, yeah, absolutely. And then the the final sections with all the kind of computer stuff, um, and just the kind of the suits and the environments, the sets, the water tanks, and stuff. It just looks frighteningly expensive. I think it's somewhere in the region of forty five mil, and then it made ninety, so it kind of doubled its money, which is kind of it's weird to say this because it's really grotesquely huge amounts of money that could solve so many ills. But I'm sort of like it didn't it didn't do that well compared to other things he's done, proportionally speaking because um, it turned a very nice profit but then you've got to account for uh, marketing and we you know worldwide and that is worldwide I think for 90 million I don't think that's domestic yeah check. I'm pretty sure that's uh, uh, worldwide and like obviously the production happened in two tanks in Gaffney South Carolina when there was a abandoned nuclear power plant that was I wouldn't even say decommissioned like I said like it was pretty much like we're halfway done building and we're like well we kind of ran out of money so we're just going to leave this here like right. so many things mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like, just glad they didn't like how bad it would be if they show up. I'm like, hey, those nuclear power rods just laying there. Like, <laughs> oh no, we <laughs> inanimate carbon rod. <laughs> Why is my watch all messed up? And I feel really weird all of a sudden. Yeah, Ed Harris had a full head of hair before they started, and then <laughs> and it, it, like he's never had it since. <laughs> no, as the no, result of it, no, never had it since. Um, oh God. I- uh, what were you gonna say? Sorry. Well, Ed, yeah, I just find it quite. I don't know the relationship with uh, Ed Harris and. Cameron was because there's a few the returning players for James Cameron there aren't many I think Michael Bean is the big one you know I don't know pound for pound who's come back again and again I know him and Michael Bean had a very good close friendship for a time there uh as far as I'm aware Michael Bean must be the one who's returned the most for James Cameron things I mean because other kind of big stars you know Ed Harris did one obviously uh DiCaprio and Winslet did one but then he doesn't make that many films. I mean, Sigourney Weaver's done two with him, right? An Avatar. Mm. And but then I guess, again, he had an average of a film a decade. And every time he did it, it was the most gross, highest grossing film ever. So like, it, it was that strange. Um, he, yeah, there's a, you know, Titanic, wait 10 years, Avatar, wait 12 years or something at this point. Um, uh, this point, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of those kind of things. It's not like Scorsese. We've got all these movies kind of like, well, you know, he did all this stuff with De Niro and then he be like, it's like Cameron, it's like, well, he's, he's done four films. He hasn't, but it's like he's done four films in 90 years and no one. Um, Ed, Ed Harris is fantastic, a fantastic lead in this movie. Um, 
you know, I think he really hits it out of the park, and he, and there's a lot of emotion to wait. I mean, the big, um, the bit, the big kind of emotional hit at the end where he's trying, they're trying to do the CPR and stuff. Like, it, dude, that's the bit I remember when I was a kid because I would have been, I guess, probably ten or something when I watched it, and I remember seeing that and just be like, because <laughs> I you know, wasn't emotionally equipped to deal with it. But like, really great kind of performances, and you really feel, I, I really feel those two as a couple as well. I think their chemistry really works. Uh, now I'm just imagining you in primary school learning how to do CPR. You're just slapping <laughs> the dummies, screaming, just fight, imagine fight. A, a bald bearded ten year old. That looks exactly the same, but it's like four foot high. It's the exact same, but in sort of like a little blazer and a little cap, you know, little school uniform, <laughs> doing CPR it's, on a dummy. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the flashbacks in space where, like, the kid playing Nick Frost has the mustache and yes. everything. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, and they're sat on the tree. That's, yeah, it's that. It's exactly that, mate. That's <laughs> oh man. Like I'm just like all right. So we have like two hit. Uh, British sitcoms I've made references to. If I can make a third, I'll be really proud of myself. Mm. But it, it, you're right. I mean, it's not one of those things. Like he, Cameron is now devolved into a Stanley Kubrick or Terrence Malick level of releasing movies. Mm. I mean, Malick mm. has uh, has hit the he's dropped the brick on the gas pedal for the past couple of years to diminishing effects, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. But when he when he made a movie, it's like oh, everybody set up and took notice and. The fact that forty percent of this movie takes place in underwater in uh, in these huge tanks that resulted in like oh we need millions of gallons of water we need uh, tarp to make sure it's completely dark down there and we need beads just to make sure it's even darker we need to run electricity and communications and I think the the thing that would have bothered me the most as an actor is that in order for you to sync sound with a, with a film like you need to have you have the slate to with and you have the crack to do it mm-hmm. and how they did they bop the actors on the head with this clapperboard to get the slate sound. So you imagine, like, I've been down here for eight hours and I have this person doing slate just gunk at every take that's hitting you in the face with a clapperboard. Mm, mm. Yeah, it, it feels very much like yet another horrible James Cameron shoot. Because <laughs> you hear about the... Because it's, it's the whole thing. Like, it, and, and, you know, Kubrick is a good... Uh, one as well because you know Kubrick got what he wanted but that unfortunately involved making people miserable because he tended to view people as kind of animate homunculus meat puppets that were there to do his <laughs> bidding and not you know functioning humans with thoughts and feelings um, which meant endless and, and you know Cameron that you, you've heard the PCP story about Titanic right the the PCP and the yeah. food it seems that's because Cameron that was you know Cameron had griefed everybody so much <laughs> they put PCP in the clam chowder or whatever. Um, and that's, you know, that was lots of, similar to this, that was lots of actors hanging around for hours and hours in a big tank of cold water. Mm. You know, I mean, that's going to be tense and miserable anyway. Um, you know. Oh, and like, it, I mean, it's all, it's all in service of the story and the story being a American nuclear submarine goes missing after being attacked by some kind of unknown vessel that we find out to be, to be aliens. And so the military wants to go, no, the Navy wants to go investigate. However, there's a hurricane coming right above it in the middle of a huge standoff between the USSR and the United States. So like, it's a little high. The tension is just a, a, a little bit palpable with the situation here. Mm. And so they, the, the Navy contracts these oil, under, underwater oil riggers to 
investigate the wreckage. And as as you can imagine, things go awry pretty quickly with the military being very, I wouldn't say uncooperative, but a little demanding. Yes, yes, that's a very polite way to put it. Yeah, very diplomatic. Uh, and and how you know Michael Bean's the bad guy? Just look at the stash he's rocking the entire time. I, right, he just peels out and it's kind of like, okay, you're normally the good guy, but very clearly your whole greasy mustache, back, black hair thing tells me this is bad Bean. We're getting bad Bean, everybody. <laughs> bad Bean time. Uh, great heel turn by him, though, eh? I mean, it's a really great heel turn by him. I think um, he really puts in... Because he, he, he's someone... to me, And, uh, you know, this is purely my personal thing but you know i was really really obsessed with terminator growing up and i know that shows and people complain about that sometimes who watch our channel but it's a thing i was just really obsessed with and to me you know i was really in it for arnold but as i got, got a bit older you know kyle reese is the kyle reese was my first kind of action hero. he was my luke skywalker really um and then he's in aliens as well and i'd catch up by the stuff he was in and then he rocks up in the abyss in the abyss and he's just evil he's horrible you know and and he's good i, I think it speaks a lot to his I think his versatility as an actor is is underrated. I think he's a lot better than anyone ever given credit for. And I know he had uh, an alcohol problem and stuff, which really didn't help his career, but he seems to have turned things around and become a director and stuff. But I think... Uh, I've heard before people said in Hollywood that you know he was he was set to be like this huge star and perhaps things didn't quite go his way. Um, and mm. I think The Abyss is an example of why he should have been a big star. You know what I mean? He should have been in more stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, since he's able to do not just the square-jawed good guy that we saw in Terminator and uh, uh, Aliens, but, like, seeing him as a heel, as a bad guy here, and the fact that, like, he's, he's, uh, I wouldn't say despicable, but, no, like, he's uh, demented in this movie. I mean, because, like, like, what we find out why he's going uh, off his rocker a little bit is because since they're so deep underwater, like, there is a condition that can happen to 1 in 20 people where the pressure... Physically, it takes a toll on them psychologically, and he's having, uh, he's not handling it pretty, he's not handling no, it at all. No. <laughs> like, he's cutting himself at one point. You're like, uh, is anybody else noticing this? <laughs> yeah. and um, this is a bit dark, okay. All right, fine. And like, his subordinates are like, um, are we sure we're doing this? As he loads up a, a Mac 10 with a silencer, <laughs> and like, you should be looking at his arm, like, where'd you get those? Where'd you get those, uh, th- those deep seated blade marks in your arm, sir? I tripped. Shut up. <laughs> Cuck lick. <laughs> he's even got an evil, he's even got an evil name, cause he's like, Hiram Coffee. Coffee? Hiram yeah. Coffee, Hiram Coffee. It's just like, that's, that's just, it's just an evil name, mate. But you got it's not it's it's kind of reminiscent in the um it's reminiscent to me of not necessarily performatively but in terms of his role is quite reminiscent of uh, Captain Rhodes and Day of the Dead in that mm. he's there's potentially a nice thing happening or at least a problem that can be resolved peacefully and he's not having any of it and he's the one that just you know through his own kind of arrogance and stuff is going to mess it up he's more sympathetic i love Rhodes in that movie because he's this insane pantomime villain which is brilliant i think it's pitch perfect whereas this for example does have the the kind of stuff of him cutting himself it is a bit more you have more of an insight into that character's world you see kind of you do see coffee losing his mind whereas Rhodes was always a bastard but they serve the same role in narratively speaking you know they, they serve the same role they do and like i think michael bean is a tad more subtle in the abyss i'd, I'd say a little bit more yeah a little bit more subtle <laughs> but, that, but that's why i love about Rhodes. i mean like i will i will go to my grave it'll be one of the final synapses in my brain firing off is, is the line like like 
I'm riding the show, Frankenstein, and I want to know what the fuck you do with our time. Yeah. I, I do. Just jerk I, it all off. <laughs> We're all just down here jerking off. I do quote Rose lines to myself all the time. It's just the most satisfying thing. It's just the best, you know, uh, which is not good in, 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 in polite company. Because you can't just be casually saying, sit down, woman, or so help me God, I'll have you shut. It's very hard to work into a conversation unless you're doing like paintball. That involves intense negotiation in the middle around lunch. I don't know what you would do, but um, <laughs> it's a capture the flag situation. We need a strategy before we take the hill. You definitely need someone. Yeah, someone on a capture the flag or paintball or laser quest, completely losing their fucking mind. Uh, just just to add that bit of uh, have that add, add that lovely bit of flavour. You know, that bit of spice to the situation. Oh, and have mentioning laser quest reminds me of a very funny meme where it says uh, when you break the neck of the enemies to conserve ammo and it shows a shocked face it's like everybody else had laser quest it tells you what you need to know really about the, the, the hardcore laser t- laser quest competitors <laughs> Uh, it's like the brother of uh of the person you find against as an employee there, so he just starts uh, nar- like nerfing you from the other side. Like, oh, that's that's bullshit. Anyway, but I think one of the other main driving forces in this movie is the subplot between Virgil uh, Bud, played by Ed Harris, and his wife uh, Lindsay, played by Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first she time I pronounced her last. I've avoided saying her name, Tim. Because it's such a difficult one to pronounce. So good for uh-huh. you. I think you did a good. You did a good job. Better than I would have done. Yeah, I think it's like give me another million a chance that I'll probably butcher <laughs> it. So I'm right. just, I'm going to take right. it like that. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. And it, it's it is curious because obviously Lindsay and Bud are estranged and they're on the way to getting divorced. And Cameron wrote this character to be very much like Gail and Heard, his mm-hmm. wife at the time. Mm-hmm. But life imitated art because they ended up getting a divorce in the midst of the production. Yeah, like the year this was done, they got divorced, right? And she went and married Brian De Palma for a bit afterwards. Um, so, like, yeah, it's it. I do find that very interesting because it's an idea that they came up with together, and that it seems that because um, good old Jim, he uh, he kind of put it about a bit, didn't he? Um, <laughs> to put it one way, um, and he's had a lot of kind of famous spouses in that. Like, was he married to Catherine Bigelow? And, yeah. and and uh, uh, Linda Hamilton as well, um, yeah. but yeah, it's very interesting that it's because they they conceived the the nub of this idea together, and mm. then as you say, their marriage fell apart during it, but they kept up with it, and it's then about a divorced couple, which is kind of it's sort of like you know how Spielberg likes to do children of divorced parents and things like that. Um, it's kind of cute in a way, and it kind of shows a bit of function, because I know that they, they continue they work, they still work together on a couple of things, didn't they, or did they? I don't think there's any bad blood between them. I think it's amicable as most divorces could be. Yeah, I mean... I mean it's, it's not like Spike Jones and um... Oh, uh... Sofia Coppola making companion movies about breakups, whether it be uh, Lost in Translation and Her, I think it's yeah, that bad. Right, right. Uh, Girl Gail and her, you know, she's a real, she's a massive player anyway. I mean, she's probably, I, I assume, still producing nine million spin-offs to The Walking Dead and making huge parts of money. <laughs> and, and good, yeah, good for her, man. Like, because she's like a, she's been a real player really over the years. Um, she's done it. She's done a lot, and she's been involved in a lot of really big stuff. You know, um, Cameron aside. Um, so you know, it, it, interestingly as well, did you know? Because oh, I think she produced. She's somehow involved in Armageddon, 
Uh, and I found it interesting because you hit on something that I when I when I was kind of going through the credits early, you picked up something, and that's the this is the kind of blue collar oil driller people, and it's like that's what's in Armageddon. It's the exact same thing, um, but done in a really dumb huh. way. Um, because you know, I'm not saying like I'm not. I don't think she was involved creatively in Armageddon, but as a, I think she produced something. Because um, I don't know if you've ever seen Affleck's commentary to. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. It's the most amazing. Because <laughs> it, like, it makes sense in the Abyss. It does not make sense in Armageddon at all. But whatever. People watch Michael Bay movies, so fine. Um, uh-huh. But it has that. It shares that thing. That kind of blue collar group. Um, and as you say, that carries over from Aliens, which in itself carries over from Alien. Um, and then you could argue, perhaps that comes over a little bit from Silent Running and dark star and those type of things mm. um but yeah the, at the core of it it's those kind of working class heroes really um apart from Lindsay, who's a, who's dr Lindsay, you know the ex-wife and oh yes excuse me i forgot i, I forgot she went to doctor school yes yes she, <laughs> she, has, she has a phd tim she has a phd i apologize um <laughs> Yeah, for those who are unaware of the Affleck commentary they're referring to in Armageddon, where apparently during production, Affleck questioned Michael Bay and said, like, wait, why are we saying oil drill is up to space to do this? Couldn't we just teach astronauts to become oil drillers? And Michael Bay's uh, most delicate and concise way to respond to such a question was, uh, Ben, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Yeah, and the justification in the film is like, I gotta have my guys, they're the best. And this is what Affleck says as it's well. It's a feel. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, dude, it's easier, it's probably easier to teach oil drillers, it's probably easier to teach astronauts to be oil drillers than oil drillers to be astronauts, like in terms of the relative training. But anyway, that movie sucks and we're not talking about that. I've, I've, dragged, <laughs> I've dragged us into, into Baytown for some reason. Yeah, you cause Bayhem wherever I you go with Bay, conversations yes. like that. Yes. <laughs> That's not my original term. I've seen that from somebody else. But And while they're investigating, they, the crew, is, everybody's investigating the submarine, um, they start to get weird things like, hey, something else is down here. We don't know what it is, but we don't think it's Russian, but coffee who I think they even, I think they even make the joke that he should switch to decaf at one point. Um, like, okay, so you have Michael Bean's coffee here. You'd have... Uh, John Picard being green tea in the opposite end of the spectrum, nice. right? Very there, good. As yes. military Very leaders. Good. Yep. Um, but Coffee thinks like, oh no, it's probably the Russians. Um, and I feel like when I say that, I feel like I should be shaking my fist to the heavens. It's like, uh, Russians. Well, it's, it's, like, it's, it's the director's cut that really leans into that. It's not so much in the theatrical cut, the kind of Cold War type lark isn't really in the theatrical one as much. Um, and it's one of these things sadly at the time this film came out it was sort of immediately redundant because the wall fell around now around this time so if it had come out with all that extra stuff and it, it's a bit like well okay <laughs> like you know the soviet union just collapsed i think there's a few things where those kept coming out and it's kind of like well that's all sort of done with now so not that it just kind of went you know wallop that's that everything's <laughs> fine carry on like it wasn't you know it wasn't overnight or anything but um it, you know that was i'm i'm just about old enough to remember 1989 just i was really little and even then i remember all the stuff in the news about the soviet union and not understanding it because i was just really little i didn't know what the wall mm. meant or why it was there or why a bunch of people knocking down a wall and why the guy from knight rider was on top singing a song <laughs> um but i remember you know i remember it enough i remember it happening but having no real comprehension of it um but you know that's by the by it, it, i think it could have it kind of immediately would age the film and this is a good it's otherwise sort of timeless because it takes away it takes place away from society 
and it takes place away from obvious icons you know it, it's the world of the kind of underwater base thing is kind of it's like you might as well be on a spaceship because you don't you have very few ordinary objects in there you know i mean you mm. do but none of them massively date it i don't think um you know other than like a cd like a tape player at one point right, they're like a stereo they're like a stereo right yeah um and i'm sure there are things in the background but it, it kind of takes place out of time because it's removed from society and stuff so i think that probably works to its favor if i'm honest yeah it's like hey can you pass me a can of new coke i'm yeah, yes, parched right yes. now <laughs> i'll have a tab clear please and a mcrib <laughs> are they still doing mcribs I'll have one of those whilst I listen to this Backstreet Boys CD. No, not CD, <laughs> tape. Sorry, tape. Uh, oh, man, it's rough times. I need a Zima right now to wash this down. <laughs> oh, God. And so, which I, I think one of my favorite set pieces in the movie is when Coffee and his men go down to the submarine to get a nuclear warhead because let's add that to, into the equation yeah. right now. Let's yeah. add a w- nuclear warhead. But... At the same time, the, the hurricanes hit the ship that's holding the, the I guess the I would say I would say platform or the the their facility underwater, mm. and I always feel bad for the dude who's in the crane who's just like I'm going to disconnect it. Don't worry that no, it gets either a he's chopped the pieces from that s- swinging uh, chain and then dragged into the ocean below. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, you know, one of the primal fears like drowning is a primal fear anyway and that's something that's pervasive throughout this film because it might as well be called you might fucking drown the movie because like most of the threat comes from that and then the visual the visuals of drowning are you know the thing of the breathing fluid and stuff so they kind of deliberately drown themselves with an aerated fluid but yeah that the bit when it drags everything down into the trench and all the people like you know a bunch of the crew die and stuff bloody hell it's, isn't it amazing i mean that's classic cameron spectacle it's just this amazing this amazing <sighs> spectacle uh- I mean, like, this movie has two of my biggest fears. One, my number one fear is drowning. It is, right. like, that is the thing that scares me most. But I love to swim. I love going in the ocean. It's an irony. It's only when I'm, like, a tide hits me and I'm like, oh, I'm no longer in control oh, right fuck. now. That, oh, fuck. That's right. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, that lifeguard looks really small right there in the distance. That's why I start to feel nervous. Mm-hmm. And because of the Terminator, because like you, I saw the Terminator when I was very young. Uh, my second biggest fear is nuclear war. It's an uh, it's an irrational fear, but this movie combines both of them. And uh, oh man, I mean, uh, to the point that like, like, what was it? Back in 2016, after a certain election result, I had a nightmare of nuclear war, and I'm like, hmm, that can't be. Uh, that's probably a coincidence, right? Uh, right. Well, look, my my and- line on phobias is this, Tim. Like, if you live in Africa, you can't have a phobia of lions. <laughs> you know what I mean? And nuclear war and drowning are pervasive, so don't worry. Those are perfectly normal, uh, perfectly normal phobias to have. Yeah, at least I meant like Austin Powers, like carnies, like uh, circus folk with small hands. It's really like cabbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, at least it's not that bad. But <clears throat> I, I love the little part when the crane is sinking to the bottom of the ocean. They think it's going to hit the facility, and it lands right in front of them. Like. Whew. Oh, thank God. Mm. That was close. And then it's an immediate reversal because it goes off the edge and starts dragging them. And they're like, oh, Drag shit. That's... And I love that look on uh, Lindsay's face when she's like, uh, bud. And then <laughs> the whole place starts getting yanked down. I'm like, oh, that's perfect timing right there. Mm. Mm. But afterwards, when they're starting to re- uh, recoup and after they've lost a few of the people along the way, and in... it must have been so nerve-wracking to shoot those scenes where... 
oh, this room's going to fill with thousands of gallons of water and we have to look like we're scared. I don't think you have to do much acting there. Yeah, yeah, right. But again, it's it's James Cameron and the endangerment of real humans. Which I just think, because like, <laughs> yeah, it's I think it's all method up to a point, isn't it? Um, kind of like the sort of drowny fluid stuff as well, where it's just kind of like, oh god, like oh god, that's really visceral, man. It's a very, very visceral thing to observe. I, anyway, I'm talking. About, I'm talking out of sequence here. It's fine, but like, so afterwards, after losing several people along the way, sadly, and like, oh, we're running out of power, we have to do something. But this is when Lindsay gets her first glimpse at the bioluminescent uh, underwater aliens, or and I'm just like, bioluminescent being a word I had to practice before we get on here, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to screw that up with all those good, syllables. Good one to have, good one to have, it's a great word. Yeah, and so, and I know that this this is what part of the criticism of the movie after it came out is like one of these things is not like the other. It feels like it's out of place. All the alien stuff with this claustrophobic cold war movie. What do you think? Yeah, it's, well, it's one of these things, isn't it? It's kind of like uh it's, it's a narrative turn because it was essentially up to a point, a different movie. Um mm. And you can kind of, I get it. It's sort of that in, you can say that about a few of Cameron's things. I mean, because like the Terminator appears to be a sort of straightforward slasher movie. If you didn't know, like, because if it didn't put that title card at the front, just going like, "There's been a nuclear war." Like, if it just started with both of them hunting Sarah, you'd be like, "Well, what's going on here?" And then it's robots. And Terminator Two does a thing where it doesn't. You don't. You don't. If if it wasn't for the insanely pervasive marketing, you, <laughs> you wouldn't know necessarily which one was after them. Stuff like that. So, um. I mean, I like it a lot because A, it's essentially a kind of 1950s B-movie concept. And I think the last time we did your show, we talked about the revival of 50s things, didn't we? Um, yeah. And it, it's it's essentially a B-movie concept, which I like, and it's but it's treated seriously. It's, mm. You know, it's played so straight um, and with a bit of kind of heart and a bit of humour. Uh, and also, I, I like it do- what it, it does is because I think, if anything, it, it, it was a bit ahead of its time. Because the big kind of aliens revival, as in not the film, as in the concept of aliens and UFOs, really hit hard in the 90s a few years later. And this came along way before, you know, uh, Independence Day or even Mars Attacks or, you know, Contact and all those movies. And it's doing a very similar thing. Yeah, it it is curious. And like, I I understand because obviously the score is done by Alan Silvestri and he tries to blend the the militaristic uh, conflict with like, obviously he's Alan Spencer. He loves his snare drums. He loves a little military march and a lot of his scores. And, yep, and it's especially yep, yep, yep. Pre- uh, prevalent here. But then when the NTI show up, you have like the little light motif. And it feels very playful and it's supposed to be hopeful. And like, how would I, uh, how I sum up this movie, if I was going to pitch it to somebody, it's an updated version of day. The earth stood still. Yes, it, no, it really is. Yeah, it massively is, and it's not as personal personal as that film because you're actually hanging out with uh, you're hanging out with Clarto and stuff the whole time. But they have the same thing. It's like stop fucking around, or we're going to flood your cities. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the kind of thing. And then I think is is it the director's cut that really leans into kind of like oh they saw our love message and that's why they saved us thing. You know? Yeah, um, which is kind of implied I think anyway. But yeah, it is. It's very the Daily Earth stood still, and I'm 
too intellectually bankrupt to have picked that up all these years. So good on you. <laughs> you get that you're way ahead of me, man. Uh, yeah, very much so because it's about a warning from a higher power, right? That's the, that's mm. the whole, and, and basically, yeah, stop messing about or we're going to kill you all. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really the sort of button on it. It's a joke that I made last night to a few friends. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a screenshot of a Twitter conversation uh, based off a trailer that dropped recently, and it was just arguing back and forth. It was just asinine the the argument, and he's just like, "Jesus Christ, look at this!" And I'm like, "This is why aliens don't visit us. It's because yeah. of shit like that." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm just like, "Oh God!" Like he, you, you would hope the day where like an alien would show up and everything and be helpful and want to help humanity and everything like that, but it'd be like, um. Uh, well, they no. came by with the cure for cancer and renewable energy, but it was a summer suicide squad came out, so they just turned around. <laughs> <laughs> just like, nah, mate, look at this. This is, this is, this is inconsistent. They're damaged. Yeah, yeah. This is in- inconsistently edited. They deserve to be consumed by nuclear fire. That's exactly what they said. I'm oh, certain but, of it. Uh, but like, oh, if you go further to Prometheus, like we sent one of our friends down there a long time ago, but you decided to nail him to a piece of wood. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You turned him into a display piece, guys. That was not cool. We're not all right with it. <laughs> I mean, it's the same joke. I think the Simpsons did that same joke where Homer's in heaven. And he's talking to God like, why don't you do more? Like, well, I sent my friend, my son Jesus down there a while ago and he hasn't been the same since. And you pan over, it's just Jesus <laughs> on a swing, slowly going back and forth, looking traumatized. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, what more do you need? What more do you need? That just tells you everything you need to know. Ah, <laughs> uh, it, it is uh, hilarious to say the least. And so everybody's trying to figure out like everybody in the crew is like all right something's down there but something is even further amiss with the military individuals there but before anything really could happen and before coffee can lose his shit this is when the pseudopod introduces itself and this was not the first cg character because i think that was young sherlock holmes if i'm not mistaken Uh, yes the, the stained glass uh creature yeah uh, which I'm still waiting for a sequel to that movie, but yeah, you've been waiting a long happening. time, my friend. <laughs> it's like that post-credit scene just really messed me up as a kid. I'm like, oh, I want a sequel, and I was like, it was 15 years after that movie when I first saw that. So, mm. uh, but the pseudopod being an actual liquid digital effect going through the facility and introduces itself there was must have been mind blowing back in 1989. No, I remember watching it as a kid. It was just like I don't know how they did that because i remember like when um well i cut you know i knew it was computers more or less but that didn't really mean much so i remember like terminator 2 just got that having lived through terminator 2 as an eight-year-old like at least when it came out the marketing push for that was insane and there was so much accent on like you know computers did this liquid man and then watching the abyss it's kind of like oh well james cameron already did that and and you know i kind of as a kid it's like oh computers did it but not really knowing how vfx worked um and but it did look amazing because it's that kind of tentacle that crawls through and then the kind of bulkhead goes on it and it cuts in half and it goes down to the floor <laughs> and it's just like whoa because like, at the time i mean the only other thing the two one i think the, the kind of one two punch that really caused the oversaturation of cgi in the 90s before we kind of realized actually you got to work make the two things work in tandem the you know sfx and vfx uh was terminator 2 and jurassic park the the ones that just hit that and and this had already gone there a little bit before and i know obviously like there's a, there are bits in the star trek movies that were very kind of early ilm uh ilm vfx stuff 
because mm. um, there's the Star Trek Four has the kind of crazy computer generated head thing in the right. uh, time travel sequence, which you can't. It's not mm. really a character, you know. It's a kind of mannequin head. Whereas you're, and that's after Young Sherlock Holmes is uh, glass guy, isn't it? Or is it? I can't remember. I let's, think so. Let's not commit, Tim. Let's not commit. <laughs> let's not say either way. Um, yes, we will fence ride and be like, yeah, it's around that time. Yeah, it's everything it's like, like that. Fucking eighties, whatever. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it is curious, and I love the behind the scenes footage, like on the doc. Like if the if people want to hear more about this movie and the arduous productions, like there's a documentary called Under Pressure. It's a it's a sixty minute documentary in the making of this movie. I think you can find it on YouTube. And like after watching it, I was I was shell shocked because I'm like, oh god, yeah. that's just been like, yeah. I understand why nobody wanted to work with Cameron after this, but in order to get the eye lines right, they literally just have like like a vent hose with like this gray spray paint. I'm like, all right, this is gonna be your digital effect, and everybody's like, wow, like everybody <laughs> looking at digital effects now. It's like you react to a tennis ball on a C stand, and like, all right, yeah. react, yeah. That's become shorthand at- as well, hasn't it? The tennis ball on a stick. It's just comedy yeah. shorthand now. And I think there they were kind of making up as they went. Uh, but it's all. But I still laugh when you look at somebody reacting to a digital effect. Like, you're looking through that effect, aren't you? You're looking at the other side of the studio, aren't you? It's something that really dogs the Star Wars prequels. You know, poor Ewan McGregor just sort of like, uh, you know, just sort of, he's supposed to be looking at, bloody Dexter Jetster or whatever you know he's looking six inches in the wrong direction or whatever and it's not no discredit to to Ewan McGregor I think he's a wonderful actor it's just that process did you you ever hear the look at the moons thing from George Lucas from the end of Sith no there's a thing I think it's in the making of um, Ewan McGregor it's the bit I think where he's just given the babies and he's on Tatooine and he's I know the suns he's looking at the twin sunset of Tatooine right but like he's standing on set at a green screen and he wants direction from George Lucas and George Lucas goes look at the suns and he's like and he turns around and it's just green he goes look at the suns and it's like there's no he's on a green screen he's not in your head George you mad bastard like what are you doing? <laughs> at least put a pair of X's on the wall something tennis balls on sticks Tim two slightly yeah. different sized tennis balls on sticks one could be closer to his face to give the illusion of size I don't know whatever <laughs> whatever, whatever works but um, oh. yeah, no, because this has it because the the, the, te- the kind of water technical forms into a face, doesn't it? Um, and I think because another one is the uh, the RoboCop two cane head inside mm. the screen is a Tom a kind of three D Tom Noonan, isn't it? Um, yeah, but that's on a that's on a screen on a model, mm-hmm. so it's a bit easier to achieve kind of eyeline. But it's those kind of um, very basic faces. But I think when we first saw them, it was like I don't know because before that point if it was like a slimy monster or, 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 you know, a corpse, it'd be like, Oh, well that's a cool model. But when it's kind of thing floating around, it's like, I don't know how, like, I didn't know what a mm. polygon was when I was eight. I didn't know what the, how any of that worked. I didn't know about pixel density. So it was just kind of like, <laughs> what, what is this? This is incredible. Particularly fluids, because it's something that needs to be, um, fluid to something that, you know, bend light, a solid object, an object that traps light, something that's kind of black. It doesn't mm. even reflect or is fluid. You have to see, the set behind it and you have to see the actors behind it and because they do some kind of pans around don't they and you see them kind of wibbly wobbling through the fluid and stuff um yeah it really is astounding and it's like the first time they scan somebody's face into it like scaring mary elizabeth and ed harris's face into it and i i always laugh when 
coffee, loses his shit, and when he closes the door on the pseudopod, cutting in half, like you said before, the pseudopod looks at it with such a accusatory yes. ripple. <laughs> yes. Like, the fuck's wrong with you, dude? And it's like, all right, fine. Like, I'm just gonna leave there. It, it's like, and, but I love how coffee, like, this, like, really just, like, he he buckles so quickly under pressure. He falls back, hands up in the air, like, oh, I didn't mean it. I only cut you in half. <laughs> you wanker coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is when afterwards, like, they finally realize, okay, aliens are real. And coffee's like, yeah, and now I'm going to nuke them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've taken I've taken this uh, this ROV, uh, not even ROV, is it? It's like a little submarine uh, with a bomb in it. And I'm going to blow them up because I've got underwater pressure craziness. <laughs> to give it its technical terms sorry to use technical terms on your podcast but underwater pressure well yes <laughs> uh, UWPC man. for short <laughs> <laughs> whenever you diagnose it you hear the chorus to under pressure <laughs> that's how the hospital knows we, how to treat you we have some bad news ding 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 what is it vanilla ice no you philistine is the original this is really kind it's of different very uh, muso doctor is different very muso doctor who's just sort of like no it's the original what the fuck's wrong with you anyway you're gonna oh. die you're insane don't steal a submarine and that's what they're <laughs> exactly mm. uh it that just reminds me of one time i was visiting a friend in the hospital because he hurt himself in college like he got a, a little too tipsy he hurt himself dancing so we myself and another helped him to the hospital and everything we're sitting by him and while well, he's in bed and everything and like code blue, code blue, we hear in the background, and we see like nurses run by and everything like that. And the kid next to me is like, "Huh, sucks for that person." And I'm like, "The fuck's wrong with you, dude? That person's yeah. going dying." It's fucking empathy, motherfucker. There's a thing. Oh, sorry, quick sidebar. There's something that happens. This this speaks. I, I know you live kind of New York way, so you might have experienced something similar. But this speaks to the horribly jaded attitude of the of the people of uh, of our beautiful capital in London. Um. Mm-hmm traveling to london for work which i do what i did before we had a plague um that, that you would often hear uh we apologize for the delay this has been because of an earlier fatality on the line because people die on the lines quite a lot because suicides and accidents and things and it's because it's one Whoa. of the biggest it's one of the biggest mass transit systems in the on the planet right so it happens mm. and uh londoners you'll be on the train and you'll hear that announcement and i always kind of go like oh god okay well you know it, it sucks to be late but oh my god you always have a bunch of London arseholes go, like it's just like like the the horrific inconvenience of being late. Someone someone's son, daughter, or whatever is is dead, but you're going to be a bit late to work. It's just, Ugh. it's like Jesus Christ. Okay, you people, you people. <laughs> Like you couldn't have picked a different time to jump yes. in front of the tube, like jump in the tube. Like God, you do it, dude. Do it outside of rush hour. What's wrong with you? If you're gonna tragically end <laughs> your life early, do it. Do it at off peak time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, just the ethical questions and like the the mental gymnastics to like feel like that. And I'm just like, it's not. Wow. It's not oh. even the trolley problem, is it? It's not even the trolley problem. I mean, it shares yeah. things. People being killed by trains. I call it the asshole problem, really. In that they're arseholes and it's a problem. It has no moral implication. Just the dicks and they shouldn't do it. Anyway, that's oh. uh, please come please come visit London. We need your tourist dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I'm feeling blue, I don't think it's a city I want to go to. Man. Like it might just be encouraged. I would, <laughs> so, I would I would accompany you, Tim. We've talked about this before. I'd be there. I wouldn't I wouldn't let you be so blue that you ruined a community <laughs> for someone. <laughs> yeah, I say we if, when things are 
relatively normal. We got to <laughs> recreate that walking out of a nightclub in the wee hours in the morning, recreate the opening 28 days later when oh, there's nice. nobody down there's there. Nobody there. I'm afraid that no longer occurs. Um, oh. That's something that was that they were able to do. And even then they had to hold people back. But um, I can confirm I've been out in that. I've been in Trafalgar Square and, and uh, that area, Whitehall, all times of day because of work and pleasure. And it's never empty anymore. You never... You couldn't practically hold anyone back in that situation at all, like they could in two th- in the year two thousand when they filmed that. Anyway, the uh, abyss, the abyss. <laughs> no, it's like like oh, I was thinking of the days of twenty days later and split second. Like ah, oh, we can just drive jeeps down here. Like financial district, <laughs> no, no yeah, yeah. down here. Do fucking donuts in Buckingham Palace car park. But... <laughs> um, and so we have somewhat of a a vehicle chase i wasn't gonna say a car chase but we have a vehicle chase between two submarines here mm. and it's impressive that these are just two miniatures cut mm. in between live action of with live action but uh correct size people with actual actors in there reacting to it like doing the star trek acting mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like uh left right and everything yeah yeah and i have to admit when coffee's uh RV loses power and it starts sinking closer and further and further into the abyss itself and it's just a crack under pressure. That's a terrible way to go. It just implodes on itself. It is. That's, I mean, I get, this is the thing with, um, it's not just drowning, is it? The, the, the water is so fraught with hazard because you've got drowning. You have the bends. You have the high pressure nervous syndrome that he has. You have being crushed. I mean, the, the sheer pressure. And tell me so, so much. This is one of the films that kind of helped me learn about that. Cause I got, I, I, I think you might not know about me that I don't talk about much is that I'm really into shipwrecks. Like I love shipwrecks. Really? Yeah. I find them fascinating. So like when I don't know a huge amount, but I know a bit. And like when they were making Titanic and obviously they incorporated real footage and they did the T, do you believe the TV special for Titanic where they actually went mm-hmm. down Titanic? So I know a little bit about how that works. And it's something that I had to really get my head around when i was really a kid i didn't understand why water pro- i just thought water was water and it took yeah. me a really long time to understand well think about it you've got billions of tons of some shit on top of you that's how that you know and the deeper you go the more denser it gets and um yeah the thing of those kind of because the titanic as an example is a wreck that is so spectacularly low that the the type of craft that go down there are insanely high pressure thick walled things and the smallest it takes like you know, a bee's fart could could end could could just cause all things to go like crump like that because <laughs> you'd be crushed before you drowned. I, is that better? I don't. I'm not really sure. So, so the way coffee goes out when the and also the whole bananas idea again, James Cameron spectacle, but the whole bananas idea is like, oh yeah, we're going to have a submarine chase. So yeah, of course you are. Yeah, well yeah, of course you are. <laughs> uh, and it looks great. It looks fantastic. It looks really good. And it ends in the, it because it, it's not. This is not by any means a graphic film. But the implications of what happens to coffee are pretty unpleasant. Oh. It's un- it's very unpleasant if you think about it to any kind of degree. Uh, like, well, two things. One, I think it's the scream he gives out before it implodes on itself. It's just like, like, oh no, he knows it's coming, and then, like, oh, it like a tin can falling into itself mm. and other thing is like if we remade the fog again i imagine you being the harbinger of doom like don't don't uh, go to that ship <laughs> do it. it's cursed don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but in the uh chase itself uh Lindsay and bud's uh submarine is damaged and starts to take on water as power goes out but there's only one wetsuit and bud's wearing it and so they were like, okay, maybe you can swim back, grab my grab gear, and bring it back. And like, 
too long. You'd be dead by the time I get back. And that's when Lindsay comes up with the idea, like, no, I'm going to pretty much die because we're, and since we're so cold, it will preserve me temporarily, swim my corpse back to the facility and resuscitate me. Oh, God. Yeah. This is, it's horrible. It's, it's, okay, so here's the plan. I'm going to die on purpose and then make <laughs> me not dead later. Right, good? Yeah, okay, we're going to do that. Yeah, this is the stuff I really remember as a kid being just kind of like, oh my God, like, you know, they, they, they kind of, they've had this, this thing, but they do kind of love each other and like there's this kind of sacrifice, but it's also a sort of Sophie's choice. And then, and then it's kind of like, oh, don't worry, in, inhale this fluid. That'll sort it out. Um, but yeah, the, the revival scene with her is just, and when he waits to die as well. Oh my God. Look at all this stuff. Uh, I mean, like, from the beginning when he like he's clutching her and she's holding on to his helmet when the entire submarine is submerged and she he feels the pressure she let goes of his bodysuit and he's great movie screaming of no right there with a nice echo on it but then the resuscitation scene which was um needless to say was kind of a bitch to shoot shoot because of Cameron being kind of a perfectionist and just doing it over and over yeah, and yeah. over. And apparently at one point, like they're doing the scene, everything's going perfectly. And the cinematographer, like Mikhail Salomon, who would go on to, to photograph backdrops. So he does two extreme movies like that. Like, oh, we're going to put you underwater for months on end. And then we're going to put you in a burning building for months on end. But they're shooting the scene. And then like, oh, we ran out of film on this magazine and, Mary Elizabeth just like storms out of there because she's like, we're not animals. And like, that's, everybody's like, oh, that's what the up, hell we could do? That's so messed up. So, oh yeah, no, you should really crush her thorax to get a, a <laughs> to, to get a realistic revival effect. Uh, yeah, it's just, and it, it's miserable. I, it, I mean, you and I, at one point or another, I'm sure everybody's experienced being in cold, wet clothes for a bit. Mm-hmm. Like being in cold, wet clothes for a bit kind of sucks. When yeah. you're being shouted at by this megalomaniac in a freezing base for 16 hours of a day, it's probably going to grind quite a bit. Just to rewind really quickly, Tim, and I hate to lower the tone, but you know what I'm like, so I will anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Sorry. The phrase you used uh, when she has her hands on his helmet would be considered very rude in England. Uh. (laughs) and the thing is Um. if i was with another british person i would have gone like (laughs) and and then they would have gone back but now i'm just going to do it like five minutes later (laughs) it's a callback that's what it is yeah Yeah, exactly it's it's the rule of comedy i just i'm just bringing that back round. um Uh. anyway sorry (laughs) who's the helmet without an helmet that's gary fucking king (laughs) gary fucking king (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man and everything I mean, like that's also like oh I mean, what the hell like when when with this guy trying to tell um hey Sigourney Weaver where's Ian Holmes gonna stick that magazine in Alien like oh he's gonna stick it up your I forget what the hell what the expression the British term he used to <laughs> simulate her mouth but it's like it sounded like he's gonna stick it up her vagina it's like wait right. what right right yeah well that whole th- you know another movie again but that whole thing is kind of rape by a non-sexualized creature right because it's like that there's a non-reproductive creature and the alien is a reproductive creature and there's that kind of magazine in the mouth kind of symbolic rape thing um yeah it's all kind of gross and weird but it's not this movie i guess but it does have tangential cameron links yes it does um but yeah like as like i say i'm threatening to create a t-shirt that says like if it doesn't have tangents is it a podcast Um, right right (laughs) but 
So he that's why the second half in the abyss, the second half of the revival scene when it's just a close up on on Ed Harris where he's screaming fight, fight that because Mary Elizabeth was not long she just walked off set and they continued shooting. And eventually they shot the reverse of his, so he's able to revive her, and it is one of those moments where as an audience you're like Oh, whew. okay. Yeah. All right, fine. Because when he's yeah, like, he's, you... like, he's like commanding her to fight. Oh my god, it's just the saddest sad thing. Uh, but it all works out in the end, doesn't it? You know. So it's, yeah, he's... It's, it's a James Cameron thing, so we, we're never going to get anything too grim. No, it's not like a. If this was like a David Cronenberg movie, like she would have died and then imploded in herself, like she would have yes. evaporated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then so. Finally, like, okay, we need to go down and defuse the nuclear bomb. And so we have the deep diving suits with the ble- the breathing liquid in there with Ed Harris, which didn't work. So he literally just had to hold his breath when shooting all the scenes within, uh, with that in there. But didn't they I, really do it on the rat, though? Like, they actually did it on the rat. Yeah, like. the, the real liquid worked for the rat. They used five rats for five different takes. And apparently, uh, when they're doing the promotional tour and, like, uh, Hippie, the guy who owns the rat, who was supposed to come on there to... They let him want to bring the rat on there. And the rat had died of natural causes prior to the broadcast. And they're like, yeah, the rat died of natural causes. And like, oh, yeah, the rat that had the breathing liquid died of natural causes. Bullshit. Coincidentally, it died of old age. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, totally. Died of lead poisoning, but, mate. Yeah, completely. That's why I said this. Like, just, like, every parent who's had a pet die on you when the kids are away at school, just buy another one. <laughs> Replace them. Exactly. They should have just gone to the pet shop and got another one. Just went, yeah, this is the one. This is, this is Greg. It's the same rat. It's fine. <laughs> that's like that is the bit where they do it on the rat it's just like oh that's animal cruelty great <laughs> like, story. hey look I'm not, I'm not a vegetarian or any shit like that so I don't want to be a hypocrite you know but the, the number of pigs that have fallen to my blade by extension because I eat pig and sandwiches never have the guts to kill a pig um, it is cruel though because the thing is I eat pigs I don't drown them for fun or kind of <laughs> or, or non-drown them non-drown them for fun but um yeah, because he he looks it looks really impressive when because obviously the helmet's filled up with the stuff. Which I, I I wonder like you couldn't have double plated the helmet had like have double plated glass and then just had the liquid in the in between period. Uh, would be know, like one of those be... novelty glasses that has the fake beer in the lining. <laughs> like it yes, slush around because like, it does human. Um, I'm trying to think of the yeah. So in God is the Galaxy. When they're mm. helmetless in space, that's very clearly them underwater that they've touched up, isn't it? And it's really effective because yeah. human faces do something when you put them in water. It's something that I think is very hard to re- recreate because um, it's it's not even just that they kind of gather bubbles and things, but they seem to sort of bloat slightly or something. Something changes. Mm. Like it's almost like an uncanny valley thing. Like something's changed. I'm not really sure what. Um, so I guess if it was just behind a thing. But also, you know, don't endanger the lives of actors. How about that? <laughs> That's the bottom line, really, isn't it? But my art! Yes, ladies exactly. and gentlemen. Exactly, the art of James Cameron. Uh, so, yeah, like, but you think of it like, yeah, people being underwater, like, those are just the ghosts of the 70s and 80s, like, the special effects ghosts, like, people mm. floating, like, yeah, that's <laughs> just them underwater. All the people they killed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, Bud dives deep, deep into it, and he's, Doing it like he has not a radio contact, but he has a 
little like keypad on his wrist and everything. Um, but with his giant gloves, he's like, I'm hitting three buttons at once and everything. So that's always humorous. <laughs> Thankfully, he's able to get down to nuclear bomb. And the thing that we, we find out as audience members is like, yeah, like, Bombs are meant to be diffused easily if something goes awry. So yeah, it's just yeah. one one thing to clip. I'm like, whew, that's good. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, shit, I'm at, I'm out of oxygen, Joe. So I can't really come back. And it's heartbreaking. Like, oh, but he he says like I knew this is a one way trip. And you're like, really? We're gonna kill off our lead here? But no, this is when the NTIs show up and save him, and we get the impressive miniatures of. The underwater ships that the NTIs occupy. Mm, mm. Yeah, really cool. Again, amazing miniature. I haven't really looked up who did the miniatures on this. I don't know. Is it a Stan, is this a Stan Winston joint being a Cameron thing? I don't really know. I don't know. Like he wasn't part of the documentary, so I could be mistaken, or it could be like the the Stoka or Skodoka's brothers who was on Aliens as well. Mm. Um, that they famously did the. The nuclear uh, nightmare scene in T2, which was so real they got an Oscar for it. <laughs> we see, yes, we still we still all have nightmares about that. <laughs> no, it, it, it is curious. Like, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, that's it is so convincing. We still have nightmares to this day. Mm, um, mm. That's also how I look going out on a sunny day. That's how I look. Me when too. Finally. <laughs> Me too. I know this is audio only, but what the people at home can't see is that look, I look like a version of you that's come from the future to warn you about something dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> you're my looper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm absolutely your looper. You just need like a plastic stick on nose and we'd be doing, we'd be doing a whole looper thing. <laughs> uh, like the reason, like if we were in the same room together, we have to be separated by a certain amount of distance because of like, we don't want to do it's a time like, cop. Don't do a time no. cop. You know. No, 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 no. Um, and so the aliens uh, save Bud and they're like, hey, we're the ones in the, the, the director's cup. We're the ones uh, fucking up the earth right now to teach you a lesson. And I don't know. Like, I like, as you said, I'm one of the, you, in your words, I'm one of the nicest people on the internet. And I'm like, it is nice to have that kind of ending there but i wonder if there's a bunch of cynical people in, in the theater would like to say oh fuck you movie yeah. and didn't believe drown didn't them that all ending. drown them all <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just quite like the the, the, the denimo is kind of like we day the earth stood still you bitch mic drop and then they fuck off <laughs> <laughs> you know? but uh yeah it's a bit more they kind of yeah the director's cut gives it a bit more detail really like it's a bit more bit more of a detailed end but um i don't know i like i always just kind of view it as i do think this is the start of the slightly soft touch cameron narrative because it's cool mm. and everything but everything's lovely and okay in the end and it's, it's a real ride and i've, I've said a few times that i think james cameron sells theme park rides rather than movies and i don't mean that in a derogatory way i think he's cracked some kind of code i mean and you can see mm. that by um you can see that by looking just look at the box office and look at the the, the like avatar had legitimate hysteria around it like mm-hmm. actual mass hysteria about the kind of like there's all those some you know dickhead said there was a pandora syndrome that's a psychological thing for people that you know wish they could be in pandora and it's kind of like mm, i think you've got a paper out because a movie's come out and you want to get a career for yourself no one's ever heard from you ever again you hack psychologist or whatever but um you know this is a bit like that and i think the only other thing since this the only thing with any kind of edge to it he's done is true lies um and then 
that does have some Tom Arnold's character in particular some, says some really questionable shit like was it she, she's got an ass like a 10 year old boy and it's like whack cool okay firstly not a cool thing to say secondly not a cool thing to know why have you been looking at the ass as a 10 year old boy Tom Arnold's character in True Lies you know Bill Paxton oh Bill Paxton sorry it's oh god yeah it's him isn't it sorry mm-hmm. I th- what is it because uh, Tom Arnold's guy says something what kind of bitch takes the ice cubes <laughs> yeah, yeah. or ice cube trays <laughs> whatever the fuck trays. he says He's, he also says some gross sex stuff as well, I'm certain of it. Anyway, anyway, because um, Titanic, like, Titanic is an amazing spectacle, but I think it's quite lightweight in its plot. And, mm-hmm. you know, what's, what is Titanic saying? It's sad if you love someone and they die. Oh, thanks, Jim. We, <laughs> that's, that's the modern metaphor <laughs> we all needed. <laughs> it's the metaphor we all needed, Jim. Thanks very much. Because I, I, I've got a whole, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have time. I don't think to explain my kind of unified Jim Cameron theory. Um, but I do think he's, I do think, and it sounds like I'm kind of insulting his filmmaker, which I'm not, but I do think he's created a form of calculated pandering that's designed mm. to sell to the biggest audience possible. Cause nothing right. within it is, you would have to really go out of your way to be offended by what's in the abyss or what's in, avatar avatar in particular you really have to go out of your way and i think it has kind of a, a essentially a very soft touch moral message that mm-hmm. validates the highest possible demographic of the audience so yeah. i think it's designed to make everyone feel clever when it kind of isn't really um and again there's nothing wrong with that because if i knew how to fucking do it i wouldn't be sat here in my rented house in a vest I'd still be talking to you because you're brilliant, but I wouldn't. Oh, I would be doing it in a nicer stop. house. Yeah. But I'd be doing it in a nicer house, Tim. That's what I'm saying. Well, well yes. And um, don't worry, the check is in the mail. Thank it, you very like, much. The conversion rate will be a little yep. wibbly wobbly there, but uh, to from uh, dollars to euros or dollars to pounds. In, I, in I, case I, you're wondering what that means, Tim Rooney has posted me a man from Czech from the Czech Republic. in in an envelope a very small man from the Czech Republic that Tim said he would send to me to be my friend if I did his podcast (laughs) he said he was Ant-Man and he was literally the size of an Ant-Man so I put him in an envelope envelope and checked him off there I hope you you popped air holes in it this time mate not after last time I'm I'm not burying another little Czech man in my garden (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure I did a good job there I'm 95% sure good uh, but like saying like how Cameron has cracked the code to make the broadest most successful movies possible so now I'm just imagining a recreation of the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark instead of the idol it's an elixir and it's Kevin Feige stealing right. it right. and that's that's how Marvel's success not mm. saying that there's good movies or anything but I think there is a code that they have cracked clearly that that's led to their success there's some kind of winning form I think it's a different formula for Marvel a slightly different one that probably follows a pretty similar pattern you know. Yeah, I wonder if like Joseph Campbell or Blake Snyder could come back from the dead and just look at the their works being used to create popular mm. entertainment right now. What would they say? Where are my fucking royalties, you bastards? <laughs> oh yes, I, I, I that that I think Blake Snyder would say that, and Campbell I think would just be kind of like, huh? Yes, yeah. I don't want to stick that to Campbell. That doesn't seem fair. No, Kervonica is like mm, just, <laughs> I imagine to be kind of curmudgeonly about it, just like. Uh, puts a pipe in his mouth and walks away <laughs> yes uh but yeah like i you know like i know people are wondering like what it's a three like a nearly three hour movie for the director's cut you only did you were able to sum it up pretty quickly but it like what would your final thoughts and of the movie and have your opinions changed upon this viewing for this episode no not really i mean again i i i i, I 
I've said things that could be construed as unflattering and I don't intend them as so. I think the one of the reasons you can sum it up quite steadily as you have done is that this there's not a huge amount of substance to it. I think mm. it's I think this is the first true James Cameron roller coaster ride film and I think and I've said I I really believe he sells he sells roller coaster rides theme park rides in that you're not really being sold a story you're being sold what spectacular things it's done and that was very much the case with Terminator 2 which actually had a a, a tie-in theme park ride um, <laughs> yes and t- uh, Titanic's a theme park ride it's all they were always about roll up roll up here's a thing you've never seen and you're never going to guess how we did it and that's starting mm. with the abyss, and I think it's current. I mean, True Lies has an element of that, certainly, uh, particularly the um, the Harrier jump jet scene and a few mm. of the other parts. The the nuclear blast scene in that, which for this is Cameron playing that for laughs instead of Terminator, and the, the whole thing with the, the miniatures on the bridge as well, kind of like that. But it, it's not really how it was sold. It was still kind of a Cameron effect spectacular. This film is a great film, and I really like it, and and it was it's a joy to watch again. But it's quite light, really, in a lot of ways. And it's more about the spectacle. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not in any way saying that that's... It doesn't make it stupid. It doesn't make it dumb. It doesn't make it less. It's just... It's what it's doing. It's doing spectacle. And doing it well. And I'm fine to watch that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like it knows precisely what it is. And it's excelling at that. Mm. And it's like my friend Guy Milks would say, this is when... Cameron started becoming more obsessed with technology than making just good movies. Because mm. ever since, ever, like like you mentioned, like from this point on, it was always pushed to technology and it's like, we have a story to service that idea. Mm. While he's always been successful financially, critically, you can be kind of, like a lot of people say like, mix on Avatar's success and everything. But like, you think of his contemporaries like a Bob Zemeckis whether it be the motion capture movies that he did, and you're like, you wonder, like, what's going on, sir? Or even Peter Jackson, like, yeah, we need a three-hour and 20-minute version of King Kong that right. costs $300 million to make. And mm. and they become obsessed with that, and you're wondering, like, what happened to you and everything? And you could argue the same thing for Cameron here, and it could start here, but, yeah, it is it is a love story it is a i wouldn't say a star-crossed lover story like that's that's titanic no it's mm. a strange story that people it's a climate a calamity that brings two people together mm. or back together it, really back, exactly it's just it has a dramatic irony that it, it caused the separation of two people yes, yes. in the making of it <laughs> Which is unfortunate. It has an unfortunate matter, yes, but we won't. Let's not dwell. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, so, like, I know you have to get going, but before people, uh, you sign off and everything, where can people find you on the interwebs and what you do? We are easy to find. If you put Valverde Broadcasting into Google, you'll find us. But really, just put it straight into YouTube, for that is where we dwell. And um, <laughs> in the time of this plague that I've referenced already, we are we do live shows every Thursday. We do live streams every Thursday. We used to do pre-recorded content, but now uh, my co-host has a wee babby, so I don't want to give them plague. Not that I carry it, that I know about. Um, so we do things live and remote. Uh, and a few little pre-recorded things as well. So just go find us, and then that will lead you to all our social media and our Patreon and stuff like that. Nice, and uh, I don't know. I think you do carry the plague. I mean, I think you have you your arm did fall off in the middle of this uh, recording, but it was very quiet. So we were just like, oh, we're just gonna we're gonna yeah. roll with this. I don't need arms to talk, Tim. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I do need them to gesture. I'd be a terrible Italian with no arms. But yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I really enjoy your live streams and everything. Like, um, 
<laughs> your commentary on the rock was very amusing but also like you you were fair to michael bay saying, yeah this is this is arguably his best movie and everything but all you could argue all of his worst traits are found in there as well yes yeah i think that's fair yeah yeah the germs of him anyway yes yeah well i, I, I think I, it's very very difficult to do what that man does actually um but the problem is i think in recent years no one has put a lead on that no one's leash a leash i should say uh no one's put a leash on that when they really they should be just going okay michael wind it up that, that why does this transformer need to have bollocks and do a wee everywhere um <laughs> you know. because art yes yes uh, i was we'll inspired by Kaye de cinema to have the pissing bollock robot <laughs> jesus tim rooney but if you want to follow tim, me tim doing a face. <laughs> yeah, so they just scrunched up like that. Um, you can find me both on Twitter and Instagram. I made it real easy. You find it. This is Tim Rooney, R O O N E Y. Uh, my YouTube channel, Through the Lens Productions, where all my short films are up there. That's youtube.com slash through the lens productions through as you're going through a window or a door like you're an intruder. Um, but you won't feel like an intruder coming to my channel. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, and my other podcast, please rewind the RF4 RM retro show where I talk about movies like this, uh, for their anniversaries. And at the time of this recording, our latest episode, we just did was a backdraft for the 30th year anniversary. And backdraft being 30 years old, I'm like, oh God, wow. Yeah. My 30th birthday is coming up this year and I am. Um, dealing with it ladies and gentlemen <laughs> i told you i'm from i'm tim from nine years in the future <laughs> <laughs> uh so come back next time we we'll continue to talk about geek of pop culture and we'll be speaking to you soon